Welcome to the Cycling BC podcast, where we connect you to members of the cycling community to discuss events, training, nutrition, racing, and just about everything that has anything to do with cycling. Hi, I'm your host, Jarek, and in this episode of the Cycling BC podcast, I chat with the four-time Canadian National Cyclocross Champion, the one, the only, Michael Vandenham. Michael is an accomplished cyclist and currently rides on the Easton Giant presented by Transitions Life Care Race Team and the Easton Overland Gravel Race Team. As previously mentioned, he's won multiple cyclocross championships, once as a U23 and three consecutive times as an elite in 2017, 2018, and 2019. He has been a BC Provincial Champion. He has podiumed at the Pan Am Cyclocross Championships in 2018 and in 2019. And he has represented Canada in seven World Championships. From his home in the Fraser Valley, Michael gives us a rundown of what he's been up to over the past year, including putting in big miles, riding gravel adventures with the Easton Overland team. He shares his thoughts on how we can grow cyclocross in BC. He also shares his plans for the rest of the 2020 season. Oh, and his dog Odin makes a few guest remarks as well. Okay, yeah, so like I said, I really appreciate you coming on to our little podcast and we wanted to get to know you as Michael Vandeham, the cyclocross racer, but also the, the, the person and uh, get to know you a little bit better. Um, and along the way, we'd also get to know cyclocross a little bit better as well. Yeah, thank you very much, Jarek. It's my pleasure. Um, and before I get, I get into my line of questions, um, I just want to take a moment to, to give you props and respect for your list of uh, accomplishments and accolades in, in cycling thus far in your career. Um, I know it's easy to kind of just read off all the, all the wins and championships you've uh, you've you've attained uh this far but i just wanted to take a a minute or a second to actually like respect that it's it's a big deal i think you should be proud we're proud as as canadians to have you representing canada on the world stage at all the different events and and now proud to to have you in bc as part of the cycling bc community thank so, you props to yeah, you thank you very much that. yeah so what is it would you have three Canadian National Cyclocross Championships on your Yeah, that's right. I have I, I guess I guess I have four. I have three elite national championships and then I I won a U23 one in Surrey actually. Oh, um nice. and my the first note would have been the second national championships I did. I the, my very I started racing cyclocross and actually one of the the first big races the 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 first big race I ever won was um the Surrey Nationals. So kind of has a the, I, I, when I go back and race Junkyard Dog, yeah. which I've done a few times in the last couple of years, it has a pretty, you know, I have a, I have a big soft spot for, um, I guess the course was a little bit different for Nationals, but for that park and for that area. Right. Awesome. Um, so to start, I wanted to go back, like way back in terms of where you were born and how you eventually ended up in, in BC. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was born in Brandon, Manitoba. Um, and not really from, I wouldn't say that I really come from a sporting family by any means. You know, we did, we did rec league soccer and played pond hockey and I played a little bit of rugby in high school. Um, but sort of just always liked riding my bikes. Like there was a, t there was a time when I was probably 12 or 13 and I would ride, we, I grew up in a farming family. So I would ride 30 minutes into school and ride 30 minutes home. 
just because I could. And it was like, I, at that age, my mom would actually, she would actually drive and meet me at school to make sure that I made it there safely. Like, <laughs> I didn't have, didn't have a cell phone or anything. Yeah, um, yeah. So it was totally, it was like a totally pointless exercise from, from uh, the standpoint of me getting to school, but I just wanted right. to do it. And it was like a sense of accomplishment and, and freedom. Um, so I guess maybe hindsight's twenty twenty, but looking back, I mean, it's like, oh yeah, I was, I was always into doing these competitive things and always found sort of some pleasure and, and, joy and a feeling of success doing it but I don't think at that point in time I ever could have looked forward 15 years to to where I am now and and like seen that that was going to be a progression at all yeah um, and what was your writing like back then when you're writing to school what were you writing and where were you writing on were you writing on the road or were you writing on, uh, yeah on a little gravel? bit of a mix of bike paths and roads and like I said I gravel because I grew up in the country um and I think I, I had a, like a Trek 4300 and I, I remember that well, cause I saved up and bought it myself probably when I was, I think I was probably 12 or 13. So that was like a pretty cool accomplishment for me, I guess. And, and rode that a ton. And I didn't get a road bike until I was 16 or 17. Um, up at that point, my oldest brother had moved away and he went to university in Ottawa and had kind of picked up cycling, you know, in a much more well-established cycling scene uh, and had started racing. And I remember, you know, we would, we would get on the phone and we would talk about it lots. And I thought it was like the coolest thing that he was doing these bike races and he was doing like all these things I'd never heard of criteriums and, and mm -hmm. cyclocross and time trials and like stuff I had no, right. no idea about really. And I think it kind of snowballed from there. You know, I, I started paying attention to, to the races that were going on internationally and like started at that point following text updates uh, on cycling news about the tour de France and, and ended up buying uh, you know, buying an old road bike from him and then ended up like deciding that I wanted to ride a thousand kilometers in the summer for kind of, again, like I guess no reason, but I just wanted to do it. Um, and it's like every, every step from there, it's, I guess I just kept on taking these little steps closer and closer to being a, a cyclist, so to speak. But looking, you know, again, like I was saying at the time, there was no, no moment where I was like being a 14 year old watching Jeff Kabush or, or, you know, watching some of the road racers going, yeah, that's what I want to do. It just, it just kind of happened over a period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And how did you, wind up in in bc are you you're in chill is it chilliwack or Abbotsford yeah i'm in now? chilliwack right chilliwack, now right. yeah okay yeah um yeah so i ended up going to university in edmonton alberta and that's actually where i started racing cross for the first time um like even when i left manitoba in 2010 there there wasn't really cross racing to speak of there might have been a couple things in in winnipeg but certainly not in brandon which is a pretty small town that didn't really you know, had, a, had, had some great mountain bike trails, but it didn't really have a, a big cycling scene, um, at least not a competitive cycling scene. So moved to Edmonton. It just so happened that the university I went to, King's University, was kind of right down the road from where Edmonton would organize their midweek cyclocross races. And those are just like a hugely successful event. They get between 80 and 120 people. And until this year anyways, they kind of had been going on, well, it, since I started and had been going on for a number of years before that. So it was like such a great opportunity to, you know, be a, a 
new young adult in in the city and like kind of be into cycling and be able to dip my toes into this race scene where you had to pay like five dollars to do the race and yeah. it was just down the road because i didn't have a car or anything like that um and i think i just really really quickly fell in love with the sport of cyclocross like i i thought it was cool i was pretty good at it pretty quickly like i bought a bought a cyclocross bike after doing you know, just a handful of races and, um, what were you riding those races on? I, so I, the first couple I started racing on my mountain bike. Um, and then I bought a frame. I brought like a cheap metal, you know, aluminum cyclocross frame. And I, I took all the parts off my road bike and put them on the cross bike. And then when spring would come, I'll take all the parts from my cross bike and put them <laughs> back on, back on the road bike. And I did that for a couple seasons actually. And I, I even went to nationals as a U23 for the first time on that bike where, you know, I'd been pulling the parts back and forth and you can kind of imagine oh, after wow. like this, the state of disrepair that they were getting in at, at that point <laughs> after like multiple a couple cross seasons and like four or five road seasons on them, but I don't know. Got, is that how the you, job done? Yeah. Is that how, is that how you honed and develop your your mechanical skills on the bike in terms of the the bike mechanic stuff? Uh, definitely a little yeah. bit of it. I uh, I mean, I always like doing my own bike work. Like I would, I used to download pages, print them out from the the Park Tools website about how to do your own bike repairs and like you know, figure out how to change a cable on my, you know, my first bike just yeah, because yeah. I, I wanted to and kind of, I don't know, every time there was a bike problem, maybe it was, uh, I probably caused the local shop some, some more headaches than, than <laughs> I needed to, but we'd kind of look at it and be like, I, I think I, I think I can figure that out and would, you know, chances are I would probably mess it up horribly and have to go buy like three times the, you know, two extra cables and I didn't have half the tools and, and stuff like that. but. I like anything okay. eventually, just like, just like my cycling career. I think eventually you keep on running into the wall enough times you'll, you'll break through it and start figuring things out. Yeah. Okay. So, so you started riding and racing cross in, in Alberta up in Edmonton. Mm -hmm. How did you make your way down to, <clears throat> to BC and did you move right to, into Chilliwack? Um, yeah. So after I finished, my wife and I lived in Edmonton for, I think we were there for six six or seven years. So quite a while. And, um, I had actually been, I'd done quite a bit of, quite a bit of racing at that point. And then she wanted to, we talked about moving to BC for, for ages really. Um, and her plan was to become a teacher. So just the way, the way that works, it made more sense for her to get her teaching degree in BC. Um, okay. looked around at a few different places and the university of Fraser Valley has a really great teaching program. Okay. Um, so just sort of ended up there. And at that point, I don't think we ever really had any intention of staying in the Fraser Valley. We were going to be here for a couple of years and, you know, I don't know, move to the island or something. Um, mm -hmm. We didn't really know what we wanted to do. But since then, I've, I've really fallen in love with this area. Like every, yeah, every yeah. day when I'm outside, almost without fail, I'm riding around and I, I almost catch myself, you know, going, I think... It's going that I think this is the most beautiful place on earth. Like, yeah, I, I can't help really... myself. I, I absolutely love it here. And the, the riding's great. So who knows? Might yeah, be, yeah. might be Chilliwack, Chilliwack for life as, or Maybe. as I like to joke, you know, the greatest place in BC that everybody likes to hate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I thought maybe you had pointed out 
or picked out Chilliwack uh, specifically for kind of the the geography and and the riding opportunities and the trails mm-hmm. there because um, I know another kind of elite athlete that just moved to to Chilliwack, Gary Robbins of mm-hmm. uh, like the Barkley Marathons. I followed. Yeah, him. I, I ran into Gary on my ride today. He was oh, <laughs> he was doing some run training, and I actually. Um, we, we were riding together, you know, somewhat regularly before, uh, the, the last sort of the, the new restrictions came in. We were kind of riding together once a week. He's actually a quite a good mountain biker, and yes, quite a good yes. cyclist for, for people, you know, who, who like to assume that runners aren't, aren't good cyclists. Well, Gary is. Yeah. Yeah. I was hoping maybe we can, we could convert him into, uh, into the cycling BC racing i know he does some, <laughs> some mountain bike racing um and i do like i said i follow him on instagram and he's always kind of um uh promoting how how beautiful chilliwack in the fraser valley is after having moved there from i think he used to live in in squamish or the sea to sky region and, yeah 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 exactly yeah. yeah gary gary robbins is single-handedly driving the home prices up in chilliwack <laughs> <laughs> yeah and funny thing i was watching the uh the showcase for the BC mm-hmm. bike race, the, the mini series mm-hmm. and, you know, the BC bike race um, with their new route in 2021 uh, coming through the, the Fraser Valley. And so I was like, Oh, I think the word's starting to get out about, you know, how great it is in the Valley. Yeah. First, the first stage is supposed to be here. And yeah. um, you know, the, the mountain that they'll do the race on is, is Vetter. And it's like, that's, it, it's a 10 minute ride from my door. To, to, so I ride Vetter. I'll, you know, three quarters of the time I go mountain biking, it's on better. And there's like just a lot of amazing stuff. And I, if, if people haven't watched that video, there's a lot of talk about how good the dirt is. So I won't belabor that point anymore, but <laughs> it's good. Yeah. It's very, yeah. very good. Yeah. Um, there's been a stop in the Canadian Enduro series for a few years on better. And um, there's also the better, the better classic, which yeah. I think will probably be a pretty similar format to the first stage of, um, of the BCBR again, it's just like, yeah, great riding. Cool. So what has your year been like? You probably got your last taste of international racing at worlds. This That's right. At the world year? championships okay. first weekend of February. So it's been, you know, coming on nine or 10 months here, um, without any international racing. And I was, you know, lucky enough, they got a little bit of, time trial style racing um with with those glenridge races in the summer but yeah you know that type of effort's been few and far between for sure well what what would your year have looked like if it had been a a typical year after worlds what would you have done would that be kind of just a a little bit of downtime for you before you get into to riding Mm -hmm. Um, so a little bit of downtime i'd actually already done uh, by the time by the time everything shut down in March, I'd actually just come back from California um, at the end of February. So I'd, I'd been doing a team camp for a bunch of the, the gravel. Like I, I usually do gravel and, and some mountain bike in the summer as well, um, just okay. as as training and because I I really enjoy it. So I'd done a camp in California. Is that with you know, Matt? I, is that with Matt? Hornland? That's with Matt Hornland from Easton. Okay. Yeah, and and organizer of the um, Vancouver Cyclocross Coalition yeah. races. Yeah, um, tell me about that. What's what's that like? That gravel team, um, East Easton Overland. Easton Overland, yeah. yeah. Um, it's kind of funny. Like gravel is a fairly individual sport, so it's a team in the in the sense that we're 
a bunch of people that get to travel together and share a lot of the same partners and like are kind of into the same type of riding and the same vibe with our riding, if that makes any sense. Um, okay. But, you know, gravel isn't necessarily a, it's not like a, a road team where you're, right. where you're helping people out. Like I, if I were at a race, I wouldn't be helping out Amity who, who won Dirty Kansas last year in her race. That's, that's not how we do it. We just, we'd both be, be doing our thing, but we, uh, yeah, we get to travel to the races together and um, it's a, uh, produce content together which is a pretty important thing these days right okay cool so you guys had a camp in california yeah so we had a camp um right outside of san francisco and kind of in that santa rosa area we were we were around there and pretty much got back and you know it's funny to think back to the end of february that we had like only the most astute people had any idea that that everything was going to shut down and, and maybe, or maybe just no one else was listening to those people, but sure. crazy to think that two weeks later it was like, yeah. In, into full lockdown mode. Did the team have some races on the calendar that you guys were looking forward to this year? Yeah, we, yeah. we absolutely did. So actually that weekend, the weekend of March 14th, um, was the mid-south gravel so that's always a pretty big one or maybe mid-south was the week following and that event still actually happened but it was i i didn't end up going to it um and then from there it was my plan to do some of the granduro events um i was going to do lost and found gravel uh which is a a big one kind of in the sierra nevada and then of course i was going to do some some local stuff here like i was planning on racing better classics bacchus um hoping to okay. do BC bike race and, you know, um, the, the gravel event that basically runs right by my back door, ride for water. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 Um, so you, but, you didn't get to do all those things. What, what did no, you, I, I didn't get to do all those things. So I actually spent, I, I spent a lot of time training to be honest. Um, did some big months in March and April. And then my wife and I ended up, uh, buying a house here in Chilliwack. So that sort of, that sort of consumed yeah. June and July and then jumped back on, back onto training in sort of August onwards, because as it stands, I'm flying to Europe on December 9th. So it's coming up and I, a lot can change. Of course, yeah. I've been kind of holding my breath on that one for months now, really, but because there, there still are some world cup cyclocross. That's right. There's happening. still actually a, a reasonably full world cup season. Um, so my plan right now is I would arrive on the ninth. My first race would be the 12th and then I'll actually hit nine races before I head back home on January 3rd, January 4th. Oh, wow. So did you say nine races? Nine races. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Those aren't all world cup races though. No, I, it would be uh, three world cups. And then there's a couple major series in Belgium called one called the, uh, the trophy series and the other one called the super prestige which to be right. honest, that the field quality is kind of the same or very, very similar to what, what it would be at a world cup. Um, and do those as well. And this year, you know, a much, much, much more condensed schedule than I would normally take in for cross. Like usually I'm racing from the middle of September through to the middle of February and maybe doing 30 to 35 events total this year. If all goes to plan, it'll be one month with you know nine races and and that'll sort of be it for me but 
felt that it was important to get some racing, um, you know, as long as, as long as we could do it in, in a, in a safe way and, and right. follow and, and follow the guidelines put out. Um, yeah. So what is happening in that regard with, with the racing and the restrict any new restrictions? Like what, have you had to do anything different? In oh, yeah. 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 Pl- plenty of things different. So, um, I mean, Belgium itself as, as a country is in kind of a, a partial lockdown mode right now. Um, but that doesn't, that part itself doesn't really impact what we do when we're in Belgium. Like, honestly, when we're, when we're at the races, it's kind of, you're at the race or you're at the, at the house recovering. There's not, not like we're, we're spending too many time, too much time at the shops in a normal year. So that won't make a difference. But I think the biggest differences are one, there's a lot more sort of, um, logistical things to figure out to get there, making sure that we, we have permission from the Belgian consulate to go, making sure that we have um, testing lined up both before right. we leave, when we arrive in Belgium. Um, and for like myself and my mechanic, we'll be getting tested sort of five times um, over the course of the trip, just as a, a couple of those are just precautionary to make sure that, you know, we're not going to show up to Belgium unbeknownst to us and have a, have a positive test. Um, and then some of those are requirements by the race organization to do a, you know, to have a negative test result before you, before you go into the race. Right. Wow. Can, uh, can only imagine how daunting all that, uh, all that additional mm. work is, you know, in addition to just getting ready to race itself, I guess in terms of, the races, there must be some restrictions put in place with regards to the spectators and spectator areas, mm-hmm. which, which yeah. is going to be different, especially in a cross. cross Very road. different. So there are no spectators at any of the races. Um, okay. And typically, if you watch cross on TV, you're seeing anywhere from 10 to 40,000 spectators at those races. So I think... I think the whole environment is going to feel a little eerie and, and spooky, just like I'm sure it felt for, you know, the NHL players in the bubble or the NBA, right. NBA guy. Like it's not a, it's when you're at the race itself, I don't think it'll feel like a normal environment, but my suspicion is when you're actually in the race and you're racing, I, I don't notice the spectators that much when I'm oh, kind of okay. in the heat of the moment. I okay. suspect that most other people don't like, I don't think that all. I don't think that part will change it, but everything okay. around that hour of racing, I suspect will feel kind of. Okay. Weird. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that, whether you kind of fed off the energy of the, the crowd while you're racing, but you seem to be pretty dialed in on your, on your, on what you need to do to, to get the job done there. So hopefully it, w- it works out that way and everything works out for you. Yeah, I certainly hope so. It's kind of down to the last two weeks and sort of checking off, you know, checking one thing in, at a time off the to-do list. And now is we're, there, we're getting there. Is yeah. there, is there a, is there a world championships on the, the calendar that's slated to, to happen for 2021? The, there is a world championships. Um, yeah. It'll happen in February um, in Belgium this year. I've okay. opted not to go okay. um, for a few reasons. One of them being that, uh, there's a big span of time there without a, without a lot of racing sort of between January and February. There's not that many races in that gap. And I didn't necessarily feel that it was worthwhile staying in Belgium or staying in right. Europe 
without doing racing. And then in past years, I've, I've come home in between, but of course with, uh, you know, yeah. with, with being, with needing to quarantine when I come home and everything like that, it just, yeah, I didn't feel like I could train to the level that I would need to and be right. in quarantine at the same time. So it's a lot easier to, to line up that quarantine with the start of my off season. I'm yeah. Not, you know, it, it's still, yeah, that makes total sense. That still going to be sense. tough, of course, to be to be kind of in the basement for a couple of weeks, but it's a whole lot easier to just be in the basement. You know, yeah, have to keep yourself occupied as opposed to feeling like you have to do high quality training the entire time. <laughs> right now, you've done a lot of of racing overseas and in, in Europe. Um, what would what what do you think is the difference between racing in Europe and racing here in, in North America? Do you find that there's a difference? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think a lot of the difference can be attributed to the fact that there are just a lot more good people racing. And I don't mean, I don't, and I'm not necessarily even talking about the, the Matthew Vanderpoels and the Walt Van Arts of the world. They're kind of off doing their own thing at the front of the race. I'm talking about people who are really, really similar level to you. In North America, maybe there's a handful of people that you're really competitive with, but in Europe, there might be like, 20 people that are all within a few percentage points of your, you know, your physiological ability, your technical ability. Um, so it can be tough and it can be really rewarding. It can be tough if you're not totally on top of your racing, you can kind of just keep on finishing at the back of that group, but it can be rewarding because if you do sort of just nail everything going into a race, you might finish 20 places higher than, than you have before just by just by being really dialed in. So yeah. I think there's a certain amount of pressure there because every mistake that you do make is sort of amplified because instead of losing one place, maybe you lose 10 places. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a pretty big difference. And then also mm-hmm. just how the, the courses are laid out can be a little bit differently. You know, it's a, it's a stereotype of the Belgian courses are typically pretty technical with pretty big features um, because they, they, get to design their courses for elites and and pros only. Um, Whereas if we look at a a race here, the course is designed for everybody and it needs to be a fun experience for everybody. So maybe, you know, maybe there are sections that aren't quite as scary or hard because you don't want to scare someone who's in their first cross race ever. Like you don't want them to, to look at that and say, yeah, I'm never doing this sport again. It's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, so I guess we can attribute that to, would you say that the sport there, the sport of cyclocross there is a little bit more, is mature. And whereas here, you know, we're still kind of growing into this sport. Like where do you see cyclocross here in Canada in terms of kind of, I guess it's, it's life stage or. Yeah. uh, Are we still kind of growing or is it uh, like from my, and you have a different perspective because you you've raced, in a lot mm. of different places. Like from my perspective, just as a, you know, as a, a dude who likes to ride his bike and a weekend warrior, um, I'm still seeing the, the sport kind of at the grassroots level, like growing and becoming more popular. And and I think I would agree with that, especially in BC. And I think, I don't, I don't know if there's one reason that, that the sport in BC is still very much in a, growth stage i think part of it is bc in general like it's well suited to cyclocross from a, a climate perspective in the fall like one of the one of the beautiful things about cross is that when you get to the race season 
um, the races are short, so it's not, it's not a big deal if, if it's rainy and crappy outside. Yeah. And when you get to the season, you, the training that you need to do, it's not actually that much by the time you get, because there's racing almost every weekend. Um, so you have a lot of people who might've ridden a lot over the summer and into the early fall and want something to do in the fall. That's, you know, that's social and fun and you get to get some, uh, get some competition in, but there's not enough. Like if you were trying to train this time, yeah, there's not really enough daylight. If you're working a regular nine to five job right. to ride your bike that much, like maybe you can hop on the trainer for an hour, but if we're looking at cross, like that's enough, you can still, you can still have fun in the races just by hopping on your trainer for an hour, hour and a half, a couple times in the middle of the week. So I think there's a lot of appeal there where in some other, some other places it's like either it's fully winter right now, or they have, great weather for riding right now if you go and look at the southern part of the state so i I do think that helps crosses growth in bc and helps it make like a make it a very suitable place where realistically if we wanted to have a cross season that ran from november to february we we probably could like there's not really going to be any point in the year when when our climate says no this this isn't going to work yeah so what in in that regard what do you think is our is our greatest challenge here in BC in, in growing the sport of cyclocross? Oh, that's a great question. Greatest challenge. I mean, I think expanding the sport outside of the, the sports, the strongest in the little pockets on the Island and, and in the, you know, in the lower mainland Vancouver region. And I think expanding that reach, I know there's a, an interior cross scene that that's coming along, but even if I look at where I live, you know, I'm, I'm the only one who's maybe racing cross in Chilliwack or one of the only ones. Right. And I think establishing more grassroots communities where there's regular cross practices and maybe that community has a race, um, once a year, I think that that will go a long way to help growing it. Um, right. especially if you're able to do that at the youth and club level, because yeah. when I look at, when I look at all of the cycling disciplines, I think for, for youth development, like BMX and cross are probably the two that are the easiest to get young riders into and get young riders excited about because, um, you can ride, you can ride almost any bike when you're starting out, you can, parents can basically, you know, stand in a park and it's very low risk. Um, and it's really, really bike skills focused. Um, right. So it can be a lot of fun for, for a lot of different people. So yeah. I don't yeah. know. I don't know if that, yeah. that's really an answer to what the biggest challenge is, but I think looking at it, like I feel the the way forward is more grassroots development before trying to uh, build build the top out on it. And some communities, right. like like the Lower Mainland, especially Vancouver, have done a really good job of that. Like the VCXC right. scene's awesome. Um, Victoria, the whole Island Cross scene, has done a really good job of that. But yeah. uh, and and the programs like Devo Tag, there are other ones too, have done a good job. But just yeah. expanding that to other regions of the province too. Yeah, right on. Yeah, if if we could only clone you, because I know you did a lot of work with Ben, and I think Sandra Walter helped mm-hmm. out this summer and, and doing some learn to ride clinics specifically for cyclocross, kind of at that grassroots level, really helps people uh, one build the skill and have the confidence to go out and try try a race mm-hmm. and people like you who are helping kind of grow the sport at that level. Who did you see come out to those type of 
of clinics and, and sessions. You know, I, we saw a little, little bit of everyone, to be honest. We, I saw experienced cross racers who had been doing it for 10 years who wanted to top up their skills, but we also saw people who had, like, who had maybe done a race last year, had maybe not raced at all, um, both, both kids and adults. And that was the really cool thing is like, um, you know, I, I ride mountain bikes in BC, but if you're not a super confident person, that can be intimidating. So maybe cross for a lot of people is like an easier, more friendly entry into competition, a little bit less scary than road racing, a little bit less scary than mountain bike racing. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for doing that. And I hope, we yeah, can do hopefully it. they can continue. Like I, yeah. I would love to, you know, it, it would be great if at, at some point we had, if there was like a, a local training race in Chilliwack and a local training race in, in somewhere in, you know, Surrey and one in North Van and, and each one of those things on a weekday oh. could, could draw people. And that would just make the scene so much stronger because it meant on any given weekend, you'd have so many more communities coming together to, to build the, you know, the BC cup race or the VCXC race or whatever is going on. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'll, uh, I'll talk to Ben to see how, how we can make that happen. <laughs> ben, ben has pretty endless energy. So yeah, just uh, put does. it on him. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Well, I have a few more questions before I, I let you go in the, the little time that we have left. Um, I kind of wanted to get into your, your mind a little bit when it comes to racing and how you prepare yourself for a race, whether you have, um, a particular plan in place for, for a particular race? Do you break the race down into certain parts? Uh, do you do lap by lap or like, how, how do you go about preparing yourself for, for a race? Mm-hmm. So that, that's another great question. And that really depends on what race I'm doing and both like in terms of the course and also where I'm doing it and what the level of competition is. So sort of what my, what my goals are for the race if it's a world cup um a lot of times there's actually less of a plan because you i'm racing in the middle of the pack and i sort of need to go with the flow a lot more um so then the plan is always to basically get in the best group off the start that i possibly can and okay and hold on but even with the world cup there might be exceptions to that uh for for particular courses that are you know if the course is really really heavy then I'm probably going to set up with a plan beforehand to, to ride the race a little bit more steady. Whereas the, if the course is sort of flat and lends itself to having bigger groups of riders, the plan is as silly as it sounds like to go as fast as possible and get into the best group and stay with that group for as long as possible. Right. Um, but where the real, where the real strategy comes into play is when I'm looking at North American or Canadian events that I think I have a chance to win. Mm-hmm. And then absolutely. Um, you know, with that, the cross is still one from the front group nine times out of 10. So the, the first goal, especially for someone like me, who maybe I don't start as fast as, as some other riders, my goal is it's always to, to put myself in the best position. But then from that point onwards, if I'm looking at the lap and looking at the race, I'm trying to figure out what sections of the course am I stronger at? What sections of the course am I weaker at? And how do I think I could win this race? And Sometimes you can figure that stuff out when you're, when you're pre-riding the course and looking at it beforehand, but sometimes you actually have to wait until you're in the middle of the race and see what other people are doing before you can make those, make those decisions. Um, you know, for example, if there was like a big hard run up 
a couple of minutes from the finish and I was, I felt like I was, I was running pretty well and I was able to put, even if it's just a bike length or two into my competition on that, it would be my goal to lead into that. Okay. Um, absolutely. I, if it meant, you know, maybe I have to sort of chop someone on the inside of a corner, but that would be, that would be my finish line before the finish line is get to that run up first. And then when I get up that it's just full gas to the finish. Um, in other situations, it's a, maybe it's a long sprint and it's a, a big headwind. Then the goal might just be to come into the sprint second wheel and, and try to pop around someone, you know, in the last minute or other situations. If it's just a really muddy, heavy race that takes the tactics out of it. And then the goal the the plan is just ride as smoothly as possible. And maybe, it, maybe it means you win by a minute. Maybe it means you lose by a minute, but there's, there's a lot less that you can do. So it's cool because there's so many different scenarios that can play out. Um, and I definitely do try to make a plan, but that plan, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, that plan always needs to be evolving. Right. And sometimes I don't really know exactly what it is till I'm <laughs> three laps into the race. And I realize that actually, you know what, this part of the course I'm riding really well and I'm putting a little bit of time into my competition and that's what I'm going to use to springboard on the last lap or the second last lap to, to try to, you know, try to make an attack and, and right. make it stick. What's more, what's more satisfying to you when, uh, when you, when you've won or what would be a more satisfying win? I guess I should say like winning from the front with a big lead or coming from behind and and chasing down the leader. Oh, so I've done both of those things. And for me, as far as like a raw emotion on the finish line, Something where you, where the race is close has that, it's hard, it's hard to compare with that. It's like, I don't know, it's like you watch a sprinter in a grand tour, that type of release and excitement that it's hard to top that. Is that way more stressful during the race? Absolutely. Like (laughs) if I could go out and someone's going to say, you're going to win every race by 30 seconds. I go, yes, please. Let's do that. Like that's, that sounds great. But, um, as far as yeah. the exciting to do, exciting to race, exciting to watch, I think it's right. those like 10 second or less finishes, the sprint finishes. And those ones are great because it always keeps you on your toes as an athlete. There's always a way that you could have won that race had you played it a little bit differently. If you know, if you did get second or third or whatever, right, right. Um, there's always some, some tactics. Whereas if you were winning by a minute or losing by a minute, chances are like that was the hand you were dealt. That was right. the fitness you had. Those were the skills right. you had. Like there was nothing you were going to do that was really going to impact that, that finish that much. Right. Right. Gotcha. So um, I don't know. I didn't really answer that. No, no, um, no. I would I choose, <laughs> I would choose just to be better than everybody else all the time, but I think it's better for the sport and better for me and pushes me more. And it's more exciting if the races are tight. Yeah. Well, as a spectator, it's definitely more exciting to watch a close finish than, uh, than a bow. Right. So, uh, I hear you there. Um, do you have any pre-race rituals or routines that you uh, adhere to? Yeah, it's a, yeah, quite a bit actually. Um, and both like from from the morning outwards, I kind of do the same thing. I kind of always eat the same race day pancakes. I usually, you know, try not to think too hard about the race leading up. Oops, sorry, that's my that's my dog there. Um, so, but okay. when I actually get to the venue itself, then I, I try really hard to run through, uh, I guess, let, let's take it back from when I'm sitting on the train or warming up. I actually think a really important part of 
being successful is being able to run through the race, run through the lap in my head and visualize what feeling really good on the course would actually be like. So for example, I'll like, I'll be sitting on the trainer and kind of close my eyes and imagine, you know, this is the start. This is me clipping into my pedal perfectly and getting off the line super cleanly and strongly. And then this is the first corner and like imagining myself at a great position, second or third wheel or something. And, you know, hitting that tricky rep just perfectly and just like run through the best case scenario race in my head. And I feel like that does a lot. Yeah. That almost like pre prep me to, to do that in the race itself. Yeah. You're like priming your mind and then exactly. your, body, your body will follow the, the vision. And, Cause the alternative is you go through and you're, you know, maybe you're still imagining the course, but you're like, Oh no, I'm going to miss my pedal. Oh no, I'm going to crash in that rut. Oh no, I'm going to all these negative things. And it's like, yeah, you, you've, you've done the opposite. You've kind of primed yourself to not be successful. You're, you're probably going to miss your pedal and, and make those mistakes. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for, for sharing that. That's a, a really good, uh, point um if i was gonna get into my first uh, cyclocross race what three things uh, or pieces of advice would you would you give me as i head into my first cyclocross race in like the novice category yeah novice category yeah. all right i think one is just like just just show up don't be intimidated i i know from trying other things but like i hardly remember starting cross at this point but i've tried lots of new things in the last little while especially during during COVID from like house renovations to other, you know, other stuff. And the biggest barrier a lot of times is just, is yourself being scared to fail. And I would tell anyone like, don't, don't worry about it. Don't be intimidated. You know, you're probably not going to fail. And even if you do, there's like, it's such a sort of supportive community that it's not actually a failure. You'll, you'll probably fall in love with the sport and, and, and even more than the sport with the people that are, are, you know, are there doing it. Um, other, other things is, uh, bring, bring all of your clothes, bring lots of things to change into. It can be cold and wet and rainy and bring jackets and bring lots of warm stuff. And that's going to dramatically improve your cross experience if you can (laughs) stay warm throughout the race. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the third thing, oh, I don't know. Maybe, uh. Um, the same, same note as, as bringing lots of clothes and being ready to, to stay warm is like, yeah, make sure that you're, it's a really high intensity, high output sport. Um, so that you're, you're fueled up before you start. There's nothing worse than, than bonking in the middle of a cross race. So right. don't, don't be scared of, of having those delicious carby snacks that you, that you want to eat all week. We're going to have those breakfast of champion pancakes that Michael breakfast of champion has. pancakes, but, yeah. uh, yeah, it, like like anything, like I was saying, I think the, the important thing is just like go and try it, go and show up, cool. and I, it's probably a lot less scary than than a lot of people think it's going to be. Okay, great, thanks, Michael. Do you have any final thoughts and parting words for the cycling BC community? Ah, uh, I don't think so. Hopefully, we can we can be back and and racing each other and spending time together in a next year in the not so distant future. I think that's one of the best things about cycling and I've, I've missed seeing everyone out there. Yeah. Well, hopefully we can get, get back to it in, in the new year. And as you head off to Europe, I want to wish you all the best there. Hope you keep safe and uh, wish you success in your, your races over there. Thank you very much, Derek. Thank you so much for your time, Michael. Good luck. Yeah, no problem. It's all my right. pleasure. 
We hope you enjoyed our chat with Michael Vandenham, the current Canadian National Cyclocross Champion. Make sure to check out the other episodes of the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anytime at anchor.fm slash cyclingbc. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. And in the meantime, be safe and enjoy the ride.